Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you remember the show The Brady Bunch? I used to watch it all the time. I would come home from school. It was almost a ritual for me. I would come home from school, put a bag of popcorn in the microwave, push the button, have it uh, pop, and I would watch, uh, when I was younger, DuckTales. Anybody DuckTales? Woo! Yeah. So, but when I got older and more mature, I moved up to the Brady Bunch. And I remember one of the episodes, uh, uh, I think it was Peter was his name, and he had his, uh, his voice was changing, and they were doing this uh, band, the Brady Bunch band, and they were singing a song, and his voice was changing as they were wanting to record it. And so it was a big drama thing. And so what they did is they wrote a song, and they said, when it's time to change, it's time to rearrange. Who you are is what you're going to be. You remember that? Anybody? And so, uh, but Peter, he had a solo, and he would say, um, when it's time to change. And his voice would crack, and he did it on purpose. And it was really funny. So they took this seemingly overwhelming situation that was no way out, and they made something fun from it because Peter was changing. So when I talk about people changing, obviously there are things that we change. I look older than I did when I was 18 years old. We, we change. Our bodies change. Our, our hairlines change. Our muscles change. I'm much more ripped than I used to be, right? So we, we change as, as time goes on. So when we talk about people changing, what we're, talking, what we're talking about today is this inner working of who we are as a person. And I want to ask you, do you think people can really change? Do you think people can really change? I imagine many people would be skeptical, skeptical if a man were guilty of killing an innocent woman and he went to jail for 20 years and he after serving his time, came out of prison and he, he went to the family and he says, guys, I really hope you know that I'm not the same man that I used to be. I am a different man. There would be something within most of us that would be skeptical, wondering, can he really change? Because what he did was horrible. How can he really be different? People say, you are who you are. 
So the mature thing to do, the wise thing to do, is to figure out who you are and be true to yourself and accept who you are. Be who you were born to be. Many believe it's a waste of time to try to change who you are. And if anyone speaks of changing who you are, then suspicion starts to arise. Don't tell me that I need to change. You're trying to manipulate me. We don't want people speaking into our lives. And we, we believe as a culture, or many people believe that, that who we are is who we are from the very beginning. For example, how we handle our emotions. Well, that's just how I am. If you make me mad, I'm going to tell you about it. That's just how I am. How we speak to others. Our ambition for career. He's really driven. That's just who he is. What about sexual desires? Well, that's just who I am. What about ethical standards? Well, that's just who he is. He does whatever it takes to get the job done. What about religious beliefs? Oh, they were born Christian. They were born Muslim. That's just who they are. In many other areas, we believe and we settle and say, well, that's just who they are. Many people in our world would say, we are who we are, and we should be proud of it. But there's one huge problem with this. We, as a people, deeply desire change. Most of us don't like who we are. Most of us have things within our lives that we really want to change. There's a restlessness within us that wants to improve. There's a dissatisfaction with ourselves that goes far beyond our skill set and our appearance. We're a people of discontent. So we move the furniture around the house and make it look different. We go buy new clothes to feel better about ourselves. We move to a different neighborhood or a different part of the neighborhood. We look for a different job. We change our relationship status. Today in our world, we can even change our gender. And we can change legally. We can decide when we want to die. And with all of these choices, choices that have not even been fathomed before, with all of these choices, we find ourselves a society that is defeated and trapped and hopeless because we desire change. So the question I present to us again is can we really change? What does the Bible say about our need for this deep real, personal change in our lives. I want the first thing for us to look at. We have three points. The first one I want us to see before we go too much farther is this. The one is that we all need to be changed. This is something that you have to deal with before you can go further is the fact, do we really need to change? Most people wonder, is change really needed? Should I just be true to who I am? Many people say, no. Why should you fight against who you are? They, should, they say, you shouldn't try to impose your ideas or belief on others. That's wrong of you to do. Some people say or, or imply that, whoa, whoa, if you're saying I need to be changed, are you saying that your way of living and your way of looking at the world is now better than mine? That's offensive for people, which leads them to say this comment, keep your life and your views to yourself. But the Christian the Christian isn't saying that my way is better than any way. The Christian says, I believe 
in what the Bible says. And so we submit ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. We submit our desires, our beliefs, and everything about our lives to the authority of the Bible. And the Bible shows us clearly that change is needed for everyone. In John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and mankind, or men, loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So the deeds of the people Jesus was talking about, they were exposed as being evil. And he came and he is the light, so he brought the light of truth. He brought life and peace. But instead of the world receiving him and celebrating him, they hated him. So you and I join that hatred of Jesus in the world when we choose to live our lives in ways that use other people to give ourselves satisfaction and ourselves glory. For example, when we take advantage of others to gain more money for ourselves, we're joining in with that world that hates Jesus. When we use others in relationships to gain pleasure for ourselves, we're joining in that world that hates God. And sometimes we can join in that world that hates God, but we can look good. For example, we can serve others and do good things so others will notice us and give us praise and maybe even pick up some extra business. But we're doing it for ourselves. And we can be nice to people and be the most likable person in the world. But we're not doing it for the Lord and for His glory. We're doing it because we want people to think highly of us. We are all in need of change, but the change is not just a simple character change. It's not about, okay, now I'm going to make these good decisions for the glory of the Lord. It's not about going from an okay person to a good person. It's worse than that. The change we need is worse. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it was just read for us, but I want to read it again. Paul writes here, he says, And you, he's speaking to the Christians, you were, what's that word? Dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It didn't say, hey, you guys were not really, you weren't good people. You did some bad things. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Lifeless, gone, dead. So Paul is clearly stating that not only are we in need of change in our behavior, but we need to be changed from death to life. We need to be made alive. The change we need is greater than making better choices for our lives and even for the lives of our children. But we need to be changed from death to life. Romans records another uh, section where Paul goes further with this line of thinking. And in verse 9 of chapter 3 in Romans, it says this. It says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. So we should know that Christians are not better than other people. Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all... Okay, Jews and Greeks in his world, encompasses every person. That's what that means. Every human are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. And he's quoting the Old Testament here. So it's not just Paul pulling this out of thin air. But he's quoting the Old Testament. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. 
There is none who do good, none who does good. There is not even one. So again, this change is not just something that the bad people over there need. But it's something you and I need. We need this change. We're all under the same curse of sin and death. We're all born into a deadness. Death looms for every single person. All of us have a date out there somewhere where the life as we know it ceases to exist. Jumping back into Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, And you were dead in your trespasses as sin, in sin. And in verse 2, he says this, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So the first question is, is change needed for us? Is change needed for you, for me, for the world? The Bible overwhelmingly, these are just a few verses, although they're powerful, overwhelmingly says yes. Yes. We all need to be changed. The second one is this. The second point is this. Change involves turning. Change involves turning. So we all need to be changed, and change involves turning. So what does this change involve? So many people believe that, okay, this is just a mere mental acceptance. Now that I know this is what Jesus did for me, I understand it, I think it, I accept it, then I'm changed. We walk down an aisle. We're baptized even. We fill out a prayer card. We say a prayer after someone. We get involved with church. We join a church. We volunteer to help the needy. These are some ways some people think they have been saved. But the Bible speaks differently. Change involves more than just doing these things. I read an interesting quote. It said, a lot of people, they believe they're, they're scared for people's souls because they think they're in church and they're doing good things, but they've never had that change within, within their heart. And they said there was another fear too, is that there are some people who have been changed, but they live in constant fear of wondering and thinking that maybe they weren't changed. And so we can really miss the mark both ways. So what clearly communicates to us change? And here's what change involves. It involves turning from our sins and turning to God. Instead of running to the ways of the world, we turn from them and we turn to the Lord. It involves repenting of our sins, and repenting literally means turning, and it means following God. So instead of following the pattern of the world, we follow God instead. Picking up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. So even when we were dead, before we knew to do anything, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this change involves turning. And so this change is also known by another word, conversion. You may have heard that word. 
that you've been converted to Christianity. Someone who is maybe formal Muslim, and they convert, they change from being one religion, and they convert over to another. Conversion happens when the Spirit of God powerfully convicts us of our sin. There's this awareness, and usually it's preceded with or followed by, oh, snap. Or maybe something worse if you're from New York. You're like, I am messed up. I'm in trouble. Isaiah said it best in chapter 6 of Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the glory of the Lord and his majesty and he just cried out and he said, Woe is me. I am undone. I'm a dead man because I have seen the righteousness of God and he is holy and I am not. And Isaiah would put all of us to shame when it comes to righteousness. He was a righteous man, but in the glory of God, he saw that he was woefully short of God's greatness. So we see this powerful conviction of sin, and we see how ugly we are. We see the depth of our sinfulness, and that it's not just a bad decision, but there's this desire, this heart within us that is just black and cursed and hardened. And just sick. And we see that we're enemies of God. We see that we're fighting against this force in the world, and it's God that we're fighting against. And that's not who you want to have as your opponent. We're standing in opposition to the one true God. We see the seriousness of our sin. As we look at death looming and an eternity of fear and death and hell. And we say something like the psalmist said in Psalm 51 when he cried out in repentance, he said, Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are proved right when you speak and you are justified when you judge. We see that we are in debt. To the Lord. We are in slavery to sin. We see that we are bankrupt. And as we saw what Paul said, we see that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. But then we're shown how Jesus became our debt. He became that ugliness of our sin. He became a slave to sin. He emptied himself to the point of being bankrupt. Instead of being the powerful Son of God, he emptied himself and submitted himself and he died on the cross for our sins. And because of that act of love, we know that God is not this angry God wanting to just slap the world and condemn them forever. We see that this powerful God had every right to do that, but instead chose to take that punishment upon himself through his Son. And so we are turned from hardened hearts to these soft, pliable hearts that have been touched and transformed by the grace of God. So we turn from the world who tries to steal and kill and destroy us, and we turn to the Savior of the world. We turn our back on our sins, and we turn to Jesus as our Savior. This is what conversion involves. It involves a a change in direction in our lives. 
No longer do we run to sin, but we run to the Lord Jesus. Will we have times when we fall? Yeah, you will. You'll have those shameful moments, even as a Christian, where you'll foolishly wander or even run into sin. Well, the good news is, God won't let you stay there. He's going to draw you back out. Because God's going to finish the good work that He has started in His child. The third point is this. It's the Lord who works the change in us. It's the Lord who works the change in us. So who's responsible? Who's responsible for my salvation? Is it me? Is it me making a choice and saying, you know what, today I'm going to follow the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or is it God who saves me? Is it Him who is responsible for that salvation? And I think I can resolve this question because it's been debated for centuries. I'm going to resolve it right now. You ready? Is it God who is responsible or is it us who is responsible? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. God is responsible for it. Yes, He's the one who has worked it all. But there is still a part of us that is responsible for receiving or rejecting His work. The Bible says we must do something. Even though He did everything, Jesus and His disciples both clearly stated in the Scriptures that we must turn from sin and turn to God. This was the the great change that he spoke of, this conversion that Peter was speaking of and that Jesus spoke of and that other apostles spoke of as well. The Bible also says that it's not merely a decision that we decide to make. We don't wake up one morning and say, you know what, on my own authority and my own initiative, I'm going to go and give my life to Christ. We need a change, more than a change of character. What we need is a change of heart, a heart change. But the Bible teaches that we will not begin to make these changes until God changes our heart first. So we're born, and we have the ability to love God. It's there. But we don't have the power to do it. Because our hearts are, are sick with sin. And so they're going to choose to do their own thing. We are made in God's image. So the ability is there. But the problem is our hearts are faulty and they're self-serving. They're sinful. And as much as they may be able to make that choice, they're not ever going to make that choice on their own. What we need God to do is give us a new heart. Ezekiel chapter 11. Let me show you this verse. Verses 18 through 20. It says, When they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations from it. And this is God speaking. And he says, I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and obey and keep my ordinances and do them. Then they will be my people and I shall be their God. So this idea is there and it's all throughout the Bible. It's not just this one verse, that it's God who is the one who is initiating this good work in our hearts. He's the one who reaches out to us and draws us to himself. It is God himself who gives us this new heart. Have you ever heard of the term born again? 
makes some people nervous. But if it makes you nervous, it's, it, it's okay. I actually want you to feel nervous because it's good. It's a good phrase because Jesus is the one who used it. It's not just something that, uh, that a Baptist group invented in the 1970s. But it's actually what Jesus said. Sometimes people are suspicious. But look with me in John 3, 3. Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, and Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he goes on to explain what he means by that. He says, people are born of, uh, how can I be born again? I've already been born. I can't re-enter my mother's womb and be born again. That's just sick anyway to think about. So what do you mean by that? He says, we have to be born of the Spirit and born of water. And he was talking about a rebirth being born again. What he's talking about is a brand new heart. Having a different heart in your life, in your body, in your, um, a different heart altogether. Jesus was teaching this religious leader of his time named Nicodemus that in order for you to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. It's not about following a prescribed list of religious activity. It's not about good works. It's not about going out and doing good things. It's not about living a good life and helping your neighbor. It's not about loving your neighbor. It's not about being a Mets fan as much as that makes sense. Tonight's opening night. Let's go Mets. It's not about what we do. It's entirely different. Jesus said what you need is a completely new life. And then Jesus said, later on, I am the only one who can give this to you. Nicodemus, you are to believe in me and my work and then live by the truth, which by the way, Nicodemus, I'm also truth. So you can see with statements like that, why the world would have hated Jesus. Who does he think he is to come in here and claim to be the one I need to believe in? I should be the one believing, I should be believing in God. This guy claims to be God, he claims to be truth, and then he tells the religious leaders who are experts in their field, he says, Nicodemus, your ways are foolishness. Not only are they foolishness, but they're leading to death, and they're worthless in every regard. So why should we be listening to Jesus today? The reason is what we celebrated last Sunday and what we celebrate every Sunday, that Jesus backed up his words with an action. And that action was that he submitted himself, he went to the cross, and he died. And had the story ended there, it would have made a great movie because it's amazing what he did what he endured, how he died. Epic. But the story doesn't end there. He raised from the dead three days later. And in raising from the dead and, and exposing to the world that he had conquered our greatest enemy of death and sin, he rendered the enemy powerless. And he said, everything that I have said to you, believe me. The resurrection gives us every reason 
to believe every word of Christ and to hang on every word of His and to build our life on Him. It proved that He had the authority that He claimed to have. It proved that He was the way, the truth, and the life. It proved that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. It proved that there was no other way for us to be saved because remember, He prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any other way, let it be. But it was God's will for this to be the way. And He was the perfect sacrifice that we needed to pay the penalty of sin and death that we owe. Throughout the Bible, we see the Lord reaching out to change and to save His people, to rescue us. And right now, you are hearing the Word of God as I preach it to you. And God uses this method of preaching and proclaiming His Word to draw our hearts to Him. In Isaiah 55, I'll read some more of the Word. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the water, as all that happens, so will my word, this is God saying, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth and it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. This is a really great verse because it shows us that when God's word goes out, we are promised that it will accomplish what he has set forth for it to accomplish. That gives me hope because there are times when I realize I can try all the words in the world I want and I can't change the hearts of people. But God can. I can't change the world. I can't even change my own heart. Since going on sabbatical and I had a lot of issues before I went, I just was angry all the time. I'm confessing that to other pastors and finding out from other people, uh, yeah, I'm struggling with anger too. Larry doesn't struggle with anger. I don't know what's wrong with that. Maybe he's too holy. But I just, these, these things were struggling. And I, what I realized is that I, I was living in a, in a way that was almost void of the Word of God being active within my life. For example, I would read the Word of God and I would study it and it would, it would be great. God would speak to me, but I was always doing it in order to teach or to prepare for a sermon. It always felt like work. And I never, I got into a bad habit of not getting in the Word and just letting God speak to me and to speak His Word into, uh, into my own life. And it causes a drought of our soul. And it robs us of joy. It robs us of power. But when we put the Word of God into our hearts, it changes who we are. And it changes because it's the power of God that is interacting with us. And it says, God would not claim this, that His Word would accomplish, not accomplish what it was set out to accomplish. He wouldn't claim this if He wouldn't follow through with it. It is God who follows through with our conversion. And He is Him who draws us to respond. It is Him who moves our hearts toward Him. We can resist and reject Him. We can shut our ears off and stop listening to Him and, and put our eyes on something besides the Word of God. We can shut Him out. But God is the one who is responsible for initiating the call to repentance and faith in our hearts. And we see it in scriptures like in Acts. 
is that read, all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Fantastic. God had set out that these people would believe, and guess what? They believed. God is working. So we can't take credit for our faith, and we can't take credit for people coming to faith under our preaching or our sharing of the gospel. But God is the one who takes credit. We are told to tell people that they are to turn from sin and turn to God. Are you ready to go do that today? You look excited to do that. I can't wait to go tell people. We're told to do that. We're told to talk to a bunch of dead people and tell them to come to life. That scares me a little bit. God gave life to the dead in Ezekiel 37. God gave Ezekiel a vision. And the vision was, I want you to go and I want you to go preach to this valley of corpses. These dead bodies, these dry bones. And I want you to go preach to them. And he did. And God brought them to life. And it was a sign of how God's word was going to work for Israel. It wasn't that Ezekiel did anything special other than the special task of giving the word of God to people. The very preaching of God's word causes the spirit of God to go out and to bring life where he chooses. Acts chapter 10 God gave Cornelius, a Gentile, a vision to call Peter. And Peter was given a vision that it was okay to go see Cornelius because he wasn't supposed to because Cornelius was not a Gentile and it was wrong for him to do that. So two visions go on. Why didn't God just say, hey, Cornelius, repent and be saved? Because God chose to work in different ways. God chooses to use us to be his agents for change. And Peter spoke the word of God to him, and by God's grace, Cornelius and his household were saved. Peter later wrote to the Christians uh, that he was writing to, he says, you have been born again. He used the word Jesus used. You've been born again, but not of a perishable seed, a seed that will die, but of the imperishable. And you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. So it is the word of God that brings salvation. We speak the word of God and it is the spirit of God that brings life. Paul tells us about a woman named Lydia in her conversion. And it says this, listen, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. It was God who opened her heart. And it was Paul himself who was met in the same way. Jesus interrupted his trip on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his horse down for the count by the Spirit of God and blinded him. And he was sent a messenger Ananias, to come and to speak a message to him by the word of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it reads, For by grace, not by anything you've done, by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In a world that's desperate for change, lasting change, in a world that desires to be true to who we are, I want to inspire you 
to be true to who God has created you to be. Who we are born as is not who God desires to have us remain as, but He desires us to be born again, to be converted, to be a child of God and not a child of wrath, to walk in the ways of God and not walk in the ways of the world, to be excited about the return of Christ and not terrified. Lasting change means that we are changed only by God's grace. This world is looking for change in almost every possible way, every humanly possible way. But this type of change is eternal. The Lord doesn't change us from good to bad. He doesn't change us from lesser than to greater than. He doesn't change us from not good enough to successful. But what the Lord does is He changes us from bad, excuse me, I said not bad. He changes us from rebellion to obedience. He changes us from hateful to loving. And most of all, He changes us from dead to alive. By God's grace, you will be saved through faith in the good works of Christ. Not by anything that you can do. Because then you could boast about it. But it is a gift from God. That gift cost Jesus everything. And because of that gift and because of faith in Him, we can boast today in being a child of God. And we boast in the name of Jesus as being the one who is secured on our birth certificate that we now belong to God. We can be changed by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, you are the author of life and you are the author of salvation. It is you who has chosen to change these cold, dead hearts of stone to hearts of warmth, love, and life. Your grace has the power to change any heart in this world. Today, as your child, I am asking, I'm asking you to melt the hearts of those who can hear my voice. Show us your majestic power, which is able to crush and condemn us in our sin, and then show us how your glorious grace uses all of that power to shower us with grace and mercy because your Son took our place of condemnation. Give us new hearts by your Holy Spirit and then use us to proclaim and preach your word to the dead so that we will see others come to life by your powerful Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.